Welcome to Screen Quest, a podcast where a fellowship of film lovers and armchair movie experts plays film roulette. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Waterman, joined by Will Rotondi. Hey, hey, how's it going? And May Finch. Hello, hello. On today's episode, we are talking about the apocalyptic anime film Akira. And of course, we are going to draw a side quest. And it sounds like May even has a nice little game in store for us. But first, it's time to catch up on what we've been watching. Been a while, so I'm actually genuinely curious on outside of Screen Quest films, what you guys have been watching. Uh, I'm going vertical this time. Will, going to start with you since you are smack <laughs> in the middle below me Sweet. on the screen. Uh, let's see. Movie-wise... Uh, last couple films that I watched, I finally got around to the Banshees of Inishiran, and then I followed it up with catching up on an old sci-fi horror flick, Mimic, that I had never seen, but it was kind of on the bucket oh. list. So yeah, Guillermo del Toro, like the yep. like one of his first American films, right? Like I think so. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember if that or Blade Two came first, but like they're they're in the same kind of like couple year period for sure. That's nice. cool. I mean, Blade um, 2 is awesome, too. I'm not going to knock that. <laughs> it's the, I mean, Blade 1 is great. I love the campy, like, oh, amazingness. But, like, Blade 2 is on a whole different level. Um, yeah. uh, I'm surprised you didn't watch something slightly more happy um, following the Banshees of Inishirin, because as much as I adore that movie, uh, oh. it's a bit of a bummer. <laughs> How did you feel about it? Did you did you need a, a few moments, like, after? I remember feeling like this, this is what this is going to be about. <laughs> for another like hour and a half it's gonna be this sad guy on an island who's upset about his friend not wanting to be friends anymore and i was like and yet i kind of want to know how it's gonna turn out and then i'm like and now i want to know how fucked up it's gonna turn out because <laughs> i'm thinking all right you know it seemed pretty like i, I wasn't really sure what to expect because i hadn't read anything beforehand just sort of bits and pieces here and there and uh and i love the actors that are in it and I thought this is either going to be like we're going to have some very interesting dialogue or it's just going to get dark and it just got dark and I wondered how dark it was going to get by the end and I was really glad that I mean no I, I mean I, I won't say anything about I guess the plot and everything not to spoil it but I was uh, I was glad it didn't go I guess as dark as I imagined it could have but it definitely steered pretty hard into that so yeah. I definitely watched like a compilation of like goofy videos on YouTube afterwards. Barry Keown's so good in that too. Like as a bit actor, like I love him. Yeah, it's funny because with the son's intuition, I was having my you know weekly like weekend call with my mom, and she was like, "There was this movie on HBO, so <laughs> weird." And we started watching it and like, the whole time we're like, I don't know about this, but we just had to see it through to the end. And I just knew like before anything really like that would have described beyond the feelings my mom had exactly what movie she was going to say. I'm like, was it the Banshees of Inish? She was like, yeah, it was the Banshees <laughs> of wherever that place was. <laughs> and like, it just, it was great. Anyway, this is the kind of thing sometimes like, like, you know, your parents that well, like they can yeah. just. Yeah. nebulous description of a movie and you're like i know exactly what you're about to say <laughs> well 
cool. Um, uh, so, I mean, like before I asked May, like, would you say that you liked the film? Because I adored it. I just I'm like, I don't want to watch this anytime soon again, because it was it was like a little bit of a gut punch. But I feel like it's a film that. How to describe it? It's it's beautiful. It's a beautiful island. It's beautiful scenery with a bunch of very unhappy people. <laughs> and <laughs> and I just felt bad for everybody, man. I don't I don't know. Like if I wanted to if I watched it again, it would just be to look at the beautiful countryside or the beautiful island um environment. But there's some funny I mean, bits to it, but yeah. Yeah. It's, but not it's a whole lot. <laughs> it's pretty Having smart. not seen it, is it just like, you know, no man is an island the a24 film like (laughs) it's kind of like uh i was gonna say like waiting for a good godot if there was like a few more people and like the guys were just like even more sad than they already are in that like play okay um i don't know like it's just it's its own brand of like whatever, like Martin McDonough films. Uh, we talked about three billboards. Mm-hmm. I, um, uh, it, was, it was a film that like, I, I thought started strong and didn't end up liking. He's, he's one of those directors. I think people tend to really like his stuff and it clicks with them and they get it or not. Um, this yeah. one worked for me, but again, I just, it was, um, it's a little bit morbid. Um, it was funny at times, but I, I, again, I was like, ah, five years later, I'll see if I, want to like revisit this maybe <laughs> yeah not a pick me might, up, that's for sure. yeah so uh may oh, oh have you been watching anything happier <laughs> than will like what <laughs> there's gotta be there's got to uh, be something happier <laughs> yes uh i've been watching old sketch comedy uh specifically oh, the birthday boys the bob odenkirk show uh ah. yeah uh really i've been enjoying that it's like ensemble i think you should leave but slightly less um absurd i would say that's not a <laughs> very high bar to clear but yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh so that's been entertaining um obviously we watched the film for this week's podcast akira that's it's not for right now that's why we're here uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> um what else have i been watching i know that's not the only thing uh the new bob's burgers seasons Mm. watching those catching up because i'd watched a lot before i think it kind of went on hiatus for a while like around the pandemic um i tried to watch asteroid city because i usually like wes anderson films and i stopped halfway through i was like i I'm just not getting into this one and we're halfway through the film. Um, did you get to uh, the, the, the bit, the arrival? Like, did you get to that bit? No. Okay. Should so, I try again up to, up to there at least? <laughs> remember I was like, Hey, like I was not feeling this in the theater. Yeah. And like that happens. And then like the film becomes like, I, I like, I, I'd never done a faster 180 on one of his movies. Like, Okay. So I would say like you sound like you're on the cusp of probably like where it like gets really like and it all comes together and it's fun and interesting. So the the kids had just shown off their creations and were like hanging out. It was like the night after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. Maybe okay. a little bit more time. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then yep. I had gone into one of those other, like a few like old flashbacks and lots was happening. <laughs> mm-hmm. With, with set in time and i'll i'll give another stab but i just i was not feeling it when i sat down to watch it i know his stuff's weird like that though sometimes right like even like mm-hmm. movies of his that i do enjoy like sometimes i'll fire it up and i'm like i'll get 20 minutes in and i'm like yeah, I, don't, I don't know about this right now like <laughs> it's you know and i think that's a lot of it like dependent on mood and like sometimes I'm like eh, this is too fucking cute i'm not in a cute <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like I, I want something different yeah. Uh, but yeah that's fair. Oh, and uh, with happy things again, I've also started watching Shit's Creek, which has been very funny. <laughs> That's when I need to like give it a go. I watched the pilot episode and I don't think I cracked a smile or tea heat or anything. And I was just like, well, I don't know what the big deal is, but I got to perhaps like sometimes comedies like are like the first season of comedy sometimes can be a little bit tough because they're finding the character voices and the shticks and all that like I've, i felt similarly about like the office and parks and rec to be fair and like i like mm-hmm. both of those shows a lot so yeah it's definitely not like the fastest pace humor but it's like if i want something easy on in the background while i do laundry i put on shit's greek i could see that Valid. yeah it's very inoffensive like and like and i mean that like not just in like a like the subject matter i just mean like it's like all the the people that are in it are pretty like funny and sort of like you know it's not overly chaotic so yeah i could see that well we are almost done with our true detective season one rewatch because i'm very excited about the woman-centric season four that's about to come out with Jodie Foster and I forget the actress that's playing opposite of her but it looks very intense and it's set in Alaska during the long like night like era of like winter and it just it looks awesome so um, it's been a good way to get excited for that Uh, the season one has aged beautifully Woody Harrelson Matthew McConaughey it just it's perfection so great I are a great example of like, hey, eight hours of solid television. You can just have a beginning, middle, of end, no cliffhangers, no bullshit, and just like boom, <laughs> tell a tight story. Great. Um, we are watching what we do in the shadows, like because we were a couple seasons behind that to kind of ease into spooky season. You know, like we're not <laughs> feeling nice. like straight horror yet, but it's a good way to kind of like start to to ease into like the the Halloween times. Um. Let's see. We kind of stalled on Yellow Jackets, but I, I want to get back to it for sure because um, we were enjoying that. And then as far as films go, I um, <clears throat> began but just was exhausted and, and didn't finish. I made it halfway through uh, Natural Born Killers, which like I haven't seen in a long time. And I think there's aspects of that film that I still like really like and hold up and other bits were like I'm not as hot as I, as I was. And I think just like uh, in general, like haven't aged like as well. Uh, it's a tough watch either way, just with the subject matter. But I do, I think, as far as uh, satirical analysis of the media, like it still works really well. Like in that regard of how it's all about the spin and it, like it's an absurd concept, obviously taken to the nth degree. But how you can take two mass murderers and like with enough media attention and spin can sort of like make them into like these anti-heroes that people like worship, even though they're doing terrible, terrible things. So um, I'll, I'll let you know when I finish it, like how, how I end up feeling. Cause <laughs> like the, the back half of that movie is very different than the first half. Um, so we'll see. 
And I think that about covers it. We haven't been to the theaters in a while, which kind of bums me out. But like we're in that weird doldrum between like summer blockbusters and like Oscar season. Mm-hmm. I am. I was already very excited um, about Killers of the Flower Moon, but uh, like not the runtime so much. I'm still like really pretty ice cold on the four hour runtime, especially if there's not going to be an intermission. But I love like I read a really good interview with like Scorsese and like they supplemented some quotes from DiCaprio about how like when he wrote the script for the film, they were originally telling it from like the FBI perspective and then realized that like, hey, this is chock full of white men. And like, this is really a story about how like the indigenous people were fucked over for like the millionth time like in history. Let's gut it and like pivot and change it and the reviews have been spectacular for it and i can't wait including some of the um uh people from the tribe that i'm forgetting let me google who watched (laughs) the film and felt like it was incredibly respectful um they had an ambassador wasagi am i saying that right o-s-a-g-e wasagi yeah i'm gonna if i'm wrong i'm so sorry but um, yes, I'm very excited about it. Nonetheless, uh, just not the runtime, like unless it's like a little intermission. And then like Martin Scorsese, you're by default now my new favorite working director because he, you've given something that like audiences have been begging for for a while. I think four hours too. like, come on, like, like three hours. I still think it would be nice, but four hours like you almost got to. I feel like yeah. anyway, yeah, it's so a that's a ladder that... of steel. Yeah, even so, like, I, I mean, <laughs> geez like i you know i don't i don't know i feel like um yeah just it's it's too much for even somebody with bladder of steel i feel like like even the best of the best are going to tap out at some point but all right well hey let's let's see what side quests we get and i'm going to follow may's like recently instituted rule of whatever the deck says a card laid is a card played or yeah yeah we're gonna go with those take backsies that's no not a new axes. rule. That's what we've been doing. Sometimes <laughs> I threw, I've thrown stuff in there, like uh, okay. Well, the, you just uh, didn't told you. tell us that. No, no. <laughs> footage, Chris. Go back and find footage somewhere if you're not too busy. Which... Who knows? <laughs> um. Yeah. So the topic is going to be adaptation station. Hmm. and uh i definitely went on this last one so this will be all one of you guys um i i might have one but i don't know if it counts it's an out there pick if it does hmm. go for it let's hear it would you consider mama mia to be an adaptation of an abba album <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think that actually i nice. you know what I, I think that's a very creative um way to look at it but yes i would like i would consider the pink floyd the wall hi isaac i know you uh just bought that on dvd um to be an adaptation of that album because it's kind of a story right like yeah mm -hmm. yes so go ahead expound i love it okay awesome so yeah love abba love mama mia so creative um how the movie and um album which i'm currently looking up because i forget the name of the album uh, <laughs> tie together but um yeah i think mama mia is a great movie in its own right um and like granted there's maybe a couple song placements that don't make the most sense but um 
way it all ties together and it's like it's it's a cohesive album on its own and it's it's a cohesive movie on its own i think is pretty impressive to me um okay yeah it is i guess multiple albums but that's even better because then it's on an entire band how how like could you adapt statement a, <laughs> to 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 adapt a swedish pop band into uh this like fun sunny greek wedding drama with three potential fathers and all the dancing and singing and it's it's very fun and um also kind of like a weirdly like feminist film for me because it's like it's never seen as like that much of an imposition that this girl has to like mail three dudes to figure out who her father is it's just kind of like oh that's fun and quirky my mom was so like free-spirited like <laughs> it's <laughs> and then she ends up with three dads at the end essentially like they kind of figure out who's probably the dad dad but she has mm. like honorary dads now and it's very sweet i think and um silly and i think it's also aged very well it's like a, a, a i guess you would say romantic comedy i'll confess i've not seen it but um i just came across the episode of what we do in the shadows speaking of which where they're having girls night and nice. jeremiah's brought his family over not knowing that like Nadja and her friends are there watching Mamma Mia and they're all going absolutely apeshit for how much they love it and like uh, before they watch it everyone's complaining and then they're into it so I'm like I kind of know I don't watch this like because they don't show any I don't know if it's for rights purposes they don't actually show maybe any of the film but like you see their reactions and they're like talking about it and I'm like well I don't know what any of this means but I'm kind of intrigued now (laughs) by their commentary (laughs) Yeah. Um, you absolutely should see it if it's not already a pick for the podcast. I don't know, but um, mm-hmm. it also has a great cast. I mean, it has Meryl Streep, Colin Firth, uh, Piers Brosnan, Amanda Seyfried, others. I think there's a Scar's Guard in there. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, lots of lots of great talent. Obviously, great music, and it's just it's a fun, lighthearted prom. Is there like a immutable law of the universe that says if you're going to have like a love triangle love square love tetrahedron that like Colin (laughs) Firth has to be one of the dudes (laughs) statistically speaking it's likely (laughs) I'm just wondering because it seems like he's always like one side of that (laughs) can we do six degrees of Colin Firth love triangles (laughs) that would be amazing that's a little too much film geography geometry <laughs> geometry oh my gosh uh words it could be geography too sure yeah that's true across the world going to greece you're no. playing for 40 six degrees <laughs> yeah. oh, it's like geoguesser but like <laughs> but with colin Firth. Uh. oh god so that's my messy rambly not well-researched answer I think it's a really great way, though, to look at like what an adaptation can be, right? Because I think Mm -hmm. that is an adaptation like of like a band's discography, which is a really neat concept. And by the sound of it, like well executed, which is what you would hope for if you're going to take a property or, you know, um, I don't know, like a franchise or idea or something and like translate it across mediums. Yeah. So, May, did you see the sequel to it or just the first obviously i saw the sequel not as good uh, yeah. but 
it's hard to beat the icon. <laughs> so do they just pull more music for the sequel or is it just like straightforward? I'm not sure. The music wasn't what stood out to me because the plot was just like, like the plot is very weird and overwrought. It makes no sense in the first one, but you just kind of go with it because it's fun and it does have a, like an internal logic to it. And the second one feels like overwrought within the overwrought internal universe of the first film. And it just, it stretches my believability a bit too far. Um, yeah. yeah. Have you seen Mamma Mia? Well, I have, but just the first one. Okay. <laughs> it's been a while. I think Pierce Brosnan struggled a little bit with some singing, but I thought it was pretty, because it was him, right? Like he actually yeah. was singing. So I was like, you know what? doesn't have to be amazing i give the guy props for trying i know people like to like give actors a hard time when they don't really seem to nail it but i don't know i'd rather give them credit for trying than getting dubbed over so especially if it's passable like singing is a hard thing to do yeah add some much needed realism to the film yeah (laughs) (laughs) well gritty authenticity yeah gritty authenticity it's my favorite <laughs> netflix subcategory gritty like our algorithm right now is broken because everything is gritty and i was like what is this trying to say about us do you think oh no like, uh, oh no well hey thanks for sharing that that is a really cool like way to and now another thing that i can kind of be considering like as the card comes up so, well done and actually i just get to throw it right back to you because hey. we are here to talk about akira and this was your pick um it which was i love because you hadn't seen it before this so <laughs> i'm very 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 interested to have this talk take it away to give our listeners a small behind the scenes um i was presented with a category that one of my lovely co-hosts had come up with about apocalyptic films and i was like well i don't watch those so <laughs> I have no idea what to put in here. And I looked up a list and Acura was on it. And I was like, I've heard great things about this film. I haven't seen it yet. So put it down. And I'm glad I did. Um, I want to do first impressions as always. And I'll go last. But um, just to give a quick plot synopsis. Um, most people know if they know nothing else about Acura. That it's an anime movie with a really sick red motorcycle slide, and that it's kind of like futury cyberpunk. But um, it is an apocalypse film. It opens up with what initially looks to be a nuclear blast in the center of Tokyo. And then there is a big time jump to um, like 30 years in the future, where you have Neo Tokyo, and it's pretty gritty rebuilt cyberpunk city um you have these teen biker gangs that are competing with one another and um two members of one of those gangs are Kaneda and Tetsuo who end up being our kind of main protagonists and antagonists and um Tetsuo gets wrapped up with this government group that is doing tests on kids with various psychic abilities and learns that um the reason these tests are being done is because one of the kids from like 30 years ago akira 
um, is actually who caused that big blast. It was actually like a telekinetic kind of event. Um, and they're very worried about that happening again. And in getting caught up with this group, Tetsuo's powers are awakened and he finds out that he's way more uh, powerful than anyone else they've encountered, uh, perhaps even Akira, and ends up kind of battling his former friend Kaneda as he's coming into his powers and uh, starting to kind of wreck downtown Neo-Tokyo. Um, there's some gritty body horror. The government tries to respond, but things are collapsing because there's also this really big internal revolution happening within Tokyo, Neo-Tokyo. Um, Kaneda ends up wrapped up with one of the rebel groups and uh, kind of falls in love with Kay, a young female leader of the group. And um, it's the other kids with psychic powers, Kyoko, uh, Masaru, and um, Takashi, who end up basically bringing Akira back to help deal with Tetsuo before he destroys Neo-Tokyo slash the world. And the ending is kind of ambiguous, and we'll talk about that, but it does seem like there is another large explosion. Um, Kay and Kaneda survive and are able to get away, but it does, uh, once again, uh, damage a lot of Tokyo and uh, Tetsuo and all of the other kids with psychic powers have disappeared. Did I leave anything out that was big? There's a lot of politics going on too, but. <laughs> no, I think that's a pretty, pretty accurate and uh, efficient description of the plot. Okay, great. Uh, so yeah, what'd you guys think? Was this your first watch? I'm going to throw it over to Will first. It was my first watch. I, um, I'd never... Well, I had it kind of on the list for a while, but I think that it was mostly something that I used to think I should watch back like high school. And I never got around to it because back then I wasn't as big into anime. Um, I think more so now, once I kind of got exposed to like Studio Ghibli and then sort of like went a little bit farther into anime, I, I was more interested in kind of pursuing that kind of stuff. And I knew of... Um, Akira being an influence on other science fiction that I liked, like The Matrix, or I guess in some ways that I didn't realize before Stranger Things, because that was what I thought of watching this a lot. Um, but I enjoyed it. I think overall, it's it's also pretty dark. Um, I'd heard about some of the violence that was in it and sort of expected it to get like a lot like more graphic than it did. Not to say that it's not. I'm just, I was pleasantly surprised that it wasn't as bad because I know that some anime can get pretty over the top gory. Um, so uh, I think overall, I thought it was pretty well balanced. So for people that might not have watched the film yet to to go and get into it, if that's ever been like a reservation, I would say that it's not really as big of a deal, especially considering some of the action movies we get these days where it's like blood just like flies everywhere. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah. Um, but... Yeah, I think overall, I'm glad that we watched it. I'm uh, glad that that was a choice to, for this week's discussion. I think that I was a little surprised. I was disappointed there wasn't more bike racing. I'm, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I, I got really pumped for it. And then I was just like, but but the bike, for more, why not? Let's go back to the street gang thing. Kind of like what we had with the sharks and the jets. Where's that going to go? And I'm like, oh, now it's politics and people are like, 
standing around waiting for things to blow up and there's all this rising tension and yet there's not a whole lot going on all the time and i'm like that's the only drawback i feel like there needed to be more bikes in this movie but overall i still liked it so thank you <laughs> nice yeah i was also expecting more bikes um the opening is really cool they're a big part of the first like 30 minutes oh yeah and and then and then not so much but uh, <laughs> <laughs> we do get that iconic slide scene. So we have, we have that at least. Oh, yeah. How about you, Chris? Yeah, it's been about six years. Cause it was right before I moved to Jack's that like, I saw it like somewhere like, you know, around that time, like towards the end of our stay in Melbourne. And I did not remember a whole lot about the movie other than like the last 20 minutes kind of just sticks out like a sore thumb in my brain of you know, like just how wild it gets. Um, but no, I, I love Akira. I think like, you know, it was, it was great to, to rewatch it. Um, I was like, I have no idea how we're going to get to like the ending. I remember and like how we start here and like what the, the journey is exactly. Like I had some vague memories, but I think that uh, it's a beautifully drawn film. Like I just, I love this era of anime that, where everything was definitely analog. There's no computers involved in, in this. Like it is just, it's pure, you know, animation, like at its finest. Uh, it's very kinetic film and I love the color palette. So like visually it just has a, a, a stunning look from start to bottom and just a cool aesthetic. Uh, cool is definitely a word I would use for like the first like half of the film. Like there's just, there's coolness dripping from pretty much everything um like the characters uh all for like different reasons I think it's um you know fairly interesting the um dichotomy between like the two, two two main characters and how their roles kind of like switch and then you get a pretty key flashback um to kind of like show like how their history like begins and um yeah i think the probably the last thing that uh I would add before we kind of dive into like specific specifics is I love the transformation for how straightforward sci-fi it starts off to like, it is the most batshit anime thing of all time by the end where it's just like two dudes yelling at each other and like, you know, just battling like in a really epic setting. Um, it's great. Like I, I just, I, I do like the progression of the film where it, it eases you in. It's like the, the, the uh, frog and the, the boiling pot kind of effect where like, maybe if you're not into some of those crazy anime fights, like it's like, well, but hopefully you're invested by the time you get to that and you're just re ready to roll with it. What you mean? Uh, a space laser is not a reasonable thing to have happen in a <laughs> <laughs> final battle. <laughs> I mean, reasonable. Like, yeah, I think it's like what happens with the space laser. Like, uh, I was just sort of shrugged off. That's uh, that's great, but yeah, just the the instances of like people getting absolutely battered and then just like wiping their mouth and be like, yes, like now we're now we're going like or whatever like you know just like it's a very much an anime trip of somebody taking what would be a million times over like a, a mortal injury like to uh any of us it's just shit shrink it off like good stuff it's neo it's neo tokyo man people are built different there <laughs> yeah, apparently <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, uh, so this is my first time watching it, as I mentioned. I also didn't realize it's based on a really long graphic novel. Um, I do think it's cool, speaking of adaptations, that the graphic novel was written by uh, Katsuhiro Otomo, and um, he also directed the film. So nice continuity there. Yes. Um, they are slightly different, but it is largely a faithful adaptation, just left a lot out because it is such a big graphic novel. Um, but yeah, I uh, <laughs> I agree with Will. I thought there'd be more bikes, especially mm-hmm. based off of that lovely poster that we have for it. Um, and I actually somehow had avoided the spoilers for this film to the extent that I had no idea that about the psychic kid subplot like I knew there were explosions and bikes in a cyberpunk Neo Tokyo and that's about it so it was kind of cool going into this blind and then being like wait what why why is this kid old oh he blew up a building oh this is stranger things now okay So yeah, I appreciated um the experience of going into it blind. Uh, sorry, listeners, if anyone was hoping to do that, it's been spoiled. But yeah, um, let's go back and listen to session zero. We say like, yeah, spoilers are on the table. <laughs> you should know by now. But fair, fair. Um, but yeah, I, I liked it a lot. It definitely was heavy. It definitely kind of was like it left it left me with a lot to ponder afterward and um it was cool to see all of the influences this has had kind of as i was watching it um in terms of like what you think of as the cyberpunk aesthetic i think this defined a lot of that um as well as like uh i know the creators of stranger things have directly cited this as a big influence um and just kind of culturally how big it's been is is interesting um but yeah, I just I didn't feel great after watching it. And that's not like the metric by which we should judge art. But um just really depressing when you remember that these are all kids. Like I guess yeah. technically the other psychic kids are like 40 year old kids. But is that better? I don't I don't think so. <laughs> um but yeah i i i like the questions it forces you to think about even if they're unpleasant so with um obviously like a nation heavily impacted by nuclear weapons and nuclear proliferation and what an apocalypse like this does to a nation um as well as thinking about like how a government and society can like fail its kids and fail like the next generation i felt like those are pretty heavy themes from from the film but before we dive deeper into that um i just want to kind of talk about some of the standout characters um so obviously kanada and tetsuo are kind of our two main ones um but we also have uh k and um Ryu, I believe, who were part of the kind of like revolutionary group uh, that Kaida ends up with. We have the psychic kids, Kyoko, Masaru, and um, Takashi. And obviously we have Tetsuo, who eventually kind of joins Akira. 
So let's start with the protagonist, I guess you would say, Canada. Uh, what do you guys uh, <laughs> make of our guy with the, the best motorcycle? Yeah, Canada uh, is a really um, interesting character because like, if you were just to look at the box art and the clips, you would think like, okay, he's going to be a cool, tough guy. And that's certainly how he's presented at the start. But then he does things to kind of remind you that he is just a, a kid and he, he's had a bit of a rough life. Um, I do like his loyalty to Setsuo, um, trying to find him, like get him out of the, like, you know, he seems like a very loyal friend, which is, which is really, uh, great. Uh, I like his absolute like whiffs at trying to flirt, like, or a good little <laughs> bit of comedic relief as well. Like, yeah, it's just, he's, he's kind of bad at it, but, uh, it's like, I like when they meet, uh, Ryu and he's like, well, I wouldn't call her my girlfriend. Like exactly. I mean, we've done nothing physical. And you're like, oh my God. Like. <laughs> um but no he's a good vehicle for like for the 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 film because um he's you know obviously part of like a a gang i guess you would say but he's not overly like asshole-ish um other uh, to people outside of like other gangs and maybe a, a few key instances um but yeah so i like him i don't know i think he's uh it's a fun character overall I'd have to agree. I don't have too much more to add to that. I mean, he is he is pretty cool. Um, he's got some quick moves there. Had a, a a couple that came out of nowhere, you know, especially like hopping over and like kicking somebody on a bike. I mean, mm-hmm. not I can't really say I could do that. <laughs> I would like to know how to do that as an aside. But um, yeah, I think he's the comedic relief that we needed um, for a lot of those moments that get a little... When the the film gets a little heavy, it's like I, I need a little bit of humanity put back into it, and I think he's kind of what we needed with that. He's kind of like Star Lord Light, you know. He's not really goofy all the time, but he's got little bits of it that you can just infuse into the story that help it move along and and lighten the mood a bit. So, yeah, that's pretty much all I got to add to it. I liked it. I liked his character. I like what you said about him being kind of like the comic relief. Um, as well as like the heart of it because I thought it was very touching when you're pretty far into the film things have gotten really wild the body count is going up and he finds out that another member of their gang I forget which one but another member of the gang was killed by Tetsuo and uh, you're not sure what he's doing he runs gets guy's bike and uh, takes off and crashes into the wall and at first you're like oh my god did he just like do himself in what's happening and then he's like no i was sending it to my friend and it's like a very dumb teenager way to deal with grief but also feels very raw and honest and um yeah i appreciated that like small moment because i feel like another thing that can happen especially in anime is the body count just kind of goes up and up and up and there's not a sense of um weight to it anymore appreciated that from him um (laughs) I want to talk about the old kids, I think, Aww, next. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I'm going to kind of lump Kay in there with them. It's not really clearly explained in the anime, but in the graphic novel, they talk about how she has like some ESP where she's like a receptive, kind of like a medium kind of person. And that's why they can possess her the way they do. Yeah. Um, gotcha. Which makes a lot of the scenes make more sense when you know that um 
but yeah, what do you make of the kids and uh, their connection with Kay and like that whole, I guess, government operation too? Um, like I said, I had no idea this was a part of the film before I got into it. So I was definitely like trying to wrap my head around it while also taking in the whole movie. I think it added a nice little layer of like mystery behind what was really going on with the story. I like how you don't really know exactly. You sort of have to piece together context clues as to what it all means. Because I appreciate when some films don't really try to explain it to you. They just kind of throw you in it. And then as the storyline progresses, you can kind of pick up on what's going on. Um, that's not really a direct answer to your question. But I do like that there's sort of like this mystery as to what these strange little like people are that <laughs> that sound like children but look very old and kind of um i don't know just sort of ghost-like and that they kind of come and go and you're not really sure what the, all they can do and how powerful they are um i did think that it was interesting i think it was more interesting for me watching the influences of those characters and other things that I've watched because I kept thinking of Star Wars. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that that to me was just like, oh, it's like various versions of Yoda, <laughs> but also kind of creepy. But I uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I um I wish I had a better answer for you, but that's that's all that's coming to mind right now. So I might kick it over to Chris and something else will come to me. <laughs> no worries. That's a great answer. Yeah, it's a little unclear if they are like mentally like the age that like they were like experimented on. Um, but I do love that they're kind of the catalyst for why Tetsuo starts to like lose it a little bit because they antagonize mm -hmm. him. Um, maybe like it's a little playful, a little malicious. Like, I'm not gonna lie, like uh they kind of cross some lines there where I'm like, eh. <laughs> like this would scare the shit out of anybody, but uh I do like that they ultimately commit themselves to cleaning up the mess and even sacrificing themselves, arguably, maybe at the end. Um, we're not really sure. I'm sure we'll talk about that, like what happens. Um, it's not abundantly clear, but you get the sense that it's a one-way trip one way or the other um, to help contain uh, the mess that they started. I feel very bad for them. Like, the, again, flashback, very key flashback, watching them. Mm -hmm. sort of fearfully get like anesthesia like forced upon them and you know it's like oh we could do cool stuff with our mind and then you sort of see where they are down the road yeah. and you realize it's probably been a really shitty life so um that's about it i think they're they're sympathetic in that they have probably had a very tiny world um their entire lives to to live within and uh it's nice that they get to have some meaning at the end, even if they are kind of the cause of it somewhat. Yeah, I found I found them both very sympathetic and very unsettling at the same time, um, probably just because of how they're drawn. Like you're not used to seeing like kid body and then like very old wizened skin and face. <laughs> um, but also just like the way that uh, they're their power and their innocence are at odds with each other the same way you see it in Tetsuo and Akira, right? Mm. Um, where they can do these crazy things that um, are very powerful and at times very destructive, like um, 
one of them, Takashi, does like blow up half of a building during one of the riots because he's scared. Um, but they're also very childlike in terms of like one how they tease Tetsuo, <laughs> but two just kind of how they're um very trusting i would say of the researcher and of the people that they've just been around their whole lives and uh feel very sheltered in an odd way um Mm -hmm. so yeah just i feel really bad for them but they're also very unsettling and um i was also unclear and i was trying to do research to find a good answer on this and i couldn't really find one um if the psychic powers are something that can kind of arise naturally or if it's something that is produced through these experiments only i get that there's people born with a certain natural potential but i don't know if like the powers can emerge organically or if it's triggered by like the experiments was that was that clear to any of you Hmm. Uh, not overtly i think the only clue that I had was that they are doing something to them. I don't know yeah. if that's more about control or about like bringing it out of them. That's where I was kind of like, mm, not sure. Cause I, I was feeling like it was probably bringing them out of them just because like Tetsuo doesn't really show this power until after his run in. <clears throat> right. Um, But it's also just kind of vague and unclear. Maybe we're not supposed to know. Maybe it doesn't matter at the end of the day. Um, But Uh, An interesting thing that got left out from the graphic novel is that there were other kids and other experiments that survived the experiments. I think it's kind of implied in the anime that the only surviving ones are these kids, the three that you see. Um, But uh, that character that is kind of like the the cult leader, the Akira cult leader, um, she, the graphic novels, a survivor of the experiments as well actually mm-hmm. i love that witchy woman man she was just like <laughs> you know, on her uh i don't know what you would call that thing that she was on but like i don't know her amazing little platform hoisted above spewing nonsense it was great <laughs> and then the panic in her face when she's like apocalypse now oh wait no i'm dying ah! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um and then yeah <laughs> I really didn't know how to feel about Kay because again we're missing the explanation of kind of like why she's a medium for these kids on the one hand but also just like the her complete lack of interest of any kind in Canada uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and like I get why Canada follows her around but I yeah I just I didn't really get a sense of who Kay was as a character um besides just nothing to do after like the first like half of that movie yeah Yeah. um besides revolution and Ryu and then tolerating Kanada I feel like maybe her role is just aloof woman slash romantic interest but you know that's that's okay she's also a medium for small ghost children so she has that role that? <laughs> <laughs> that's funny because i just thought they could do that to anybody so i was like oh they, they gave you something to do like it's too bad they couldn't write you better like <laughs> right you know like not her fault Oops. but <laughs> at least she had it like better than oh my gosh what was the other girl's name was it uh the one who fucks off for like 
like most Kaori. of the movie and then just comes back around just to be squished yeah. into goop. Like yeah. Corey or Kaori. Yeah. Kaori. Yeah. Um I felt so bad for her character, man. Like, God, what a what a shitty story for her. <laughs> so yeah, I want to talk about her more when we talk about Tetsuo. Um okay. which is who I was gonna talk about next. I just wanted to add one Noise. more thing with the like little kids is that um I I feel like they are like not much like looking at like their literal role in the movie but metaphorically because like a lot of this is is about like nuclear bombs nuclear proliferation right um but i i feel like with them it's kind of like oh the reminder of when this stuff has happened before and like people that died that don't usually get a voice and i feel like that's part of why they're ghostly kind of like how they are it doesn't make a ton of sense just in the in universe in this film but i feel like if you look at it like more metaphorically it makes a bit more sense definitely yeah that poor girl <laughs> uh <laughs> i want to talk about kiori and tetsuo and um akira uh because they're all pretty pretty tightly linked together man tetsuo um well i guess we're gonna we're gonna start with him right so tetsuo uh i feel bad for him I feel bad for it because it's like he doesn't really know what's going on. And then it's like he has like, I don't know, not to like, like return to our shining references, but he has like a Jack Torrance moment where he just like loses his shit and goes to the dark side. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, I guess my question is like, how much of this is still him and how much of it is just like whatever this like strange ability is that he suddenly like becomes exposed to and then culminates in this very bizarre body horror genetic like body mutation thing that just becomes way more than himself this like otherworldly power that's like creating this monstrosity in the center of town or the city rather and so yeah i think overall like he's i feel like he's a character that you can you can feel sympathetic to but at the same time you're just like mm, but how much of this is you by the end after you've like murdered a lot of people <laughs> you seem like you enjoyed that power you seem kind of like always sort of jealous of uh Canada and you i mean besides wanting to take his bike but like come on <laughs> i mean i don't blame you it's a pretty sweet ride but the uh i think just that it was like the jealousy that sort of spiraled into like this murderous rage and uh yeah so i don't know it's mixed it's mixed feelings for how i feel about him um and then we could come back to kaori in a minute and all the crap she has to deal with tagging along with him but yeah uh, yeah <laughs> you chris yeah he you know in a lot of ways um he's sort of a premonition of like school shooters uh, you know a bit and yeah. showing that he's bullied and you know is sort of self-perceived and like externally perceived like weakling um, doesn't have a lot of friends and sort of like i i think it's interesting that the the psychic kids you can probably infer that they uh bring up a lot of those emotions like of him being bullied and that's what kind of causes him to snap because he's like still being picked on and it's sort of the realization that he has this this power that um 
you know, uh, he's almost like taking revenge on the rest of the world for, you know, being crapped on like all his, all his life. So, well, I do feel bad for him. Like it's also, I had very similar feelings to like a school shooter where I'm like, yeah, you had a crappy life, but also like there, there is always like that choice. Right. And, um, the people, I feel more bad for like basically the entire city of Neo Tokyo um, that is essentially destroyed because of like all this pent up rage. Uh, and I, while I do kind of question how much he's in control of himself, I do think that like his mental state is probably like a, like pre accident and everything. Um, he's, he's primed to basically have the worst possible outcome, like given like the, the new powers and everything. So, as not to say he's unsympathetic but i think yeah like it's a pretty perfect storm of like nature nurture i i think that he's a great example of what happens when power you know huge tremendous power just just gets into the wrong hands and not even wrong hands in terms of someone with a malicious plan just like someone who does not have a fucking clue what to do with it basically (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um and it's interesting because i was very sympathetic towards him up until a very specific moment and it was earlier than all that it's when he first escapes from the kind of like secret government research facility where he was being kept and uh goes and finds kaori steals kind of his bike and is like hey let's just escape let's just get out of here and i was like oh that's cute he's just trying to get away he he knows he's in a dangerous situation now and you know relatable uh just wanting to run away with your high school sweetheart and then he has another run in that gang and they hit him really hard in the head they assault kaori and um his reaction in that moment just to like be humiliated that Canada like had to save him rather than showing any concern like for Kaori or um like stopping to think for even a second. Um in fact I think like he basically tells Kaori to like fuck off and uh just lashes out at her in that moment. That's kind of when I was like Okay, yeah, nope, this this is not gonna end well for this character. He does not have what it takes. <laughs> you mean you wouldn't give the nuclear launch codes to, to someone who's like kind of an asshole with some some strong mental health problems? Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> I mean, in you know, here in the States we just elect them, but uh anyway. Hey. <laughs> um, but to go again with your like school shooter kind of metaphor like oftentimes it's first like a domestic violence situation that people end up in and the fact that he's taking it out on his girl first kind of is like okay that's the usual red flag um that you think of yeah. and that's that's when he became unsympathetic to me and it just kind of got worse from there um I, I want to talk about the ending and we will because that also kind of influences how I feel about him. But overall, I'm just like, this is a kid that needs an intervention, not mm. God powers. Yes. And this is the tragedy of giving a child, any child, really God powers. Because um, even the kids that are well adjusted 
relatively like Kyoko and the other ghostly children clearly like suffer with the power they have like it's not a good situation for anyone but how did you guys feel about uh Kaori and um we'll we'll jump from that to talking about the end I just felt bad that oh sort of like what you were saying May like not just that um well, after she gets sexually assaulted, it's like nobody seems to notice her. Like she comes kind of stumbling through the group. And I'm just like, is no one going to help her? Like, clearly you saw she was hurt. Right. 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 <laughs> no, nobody. <laughs> so, I mean, not just Tetsu. I mean, granted, Tetsu does not help because he does like shove her out of the way and like yells at her. And I'm just like, no, no, no. But like, I was just surprised that nobody in the group seemed to give two shits. And then... Mm-hmm. Kanada gives her the jacket, though, I think. Um, oh, see, okay. So, to, like, cover small. up, you know, because they've yeah. ripped her clothes off. But, yeah. 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 But then, like, after that, it's just like, is nobody going to, like, take her to a hospital? <laughs> like, she hit the ground pretty hard. But, uh, but yeah. So, that to me, I was just like, okay. So, she gets tossed around. She gets roughed up. And then she still comes back for this dude at the very end. And I mean, depending on how far we want to like lead into the ending of this, like it's crushed to death in a giant monster. And I'm like, oh, God damn, dude. (laughs) And I I felt I mean, on the one hand, I'm like, I get that you care about Tetsuo and I can I can admire you for your persistence to think that maybe he's still going to be a good guy. But I also feel bad for you that you believed it and didn't notice the red flags leading up to it before getting squished like a grape inside a giant monster. In the form and... of a destroyed city, no less. Yeah. Like... <laughs> I was like, you ran a long way. You got your cardio in. Um, and, uh, and then you didn't have enough plot armor to get out of there like the general did. So I'm just like, I, I felt bad for her. And she got done wrong. We need justice. <laughs> He's always had a crush on her. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. <laughs> hey. <laughs> wow. How long have you been saving that crush? <laughs> I just came out. This is how my dumb brain works. <laughs> uh, yeah. She's kind of like got battered wife syndrome a little bit, I think. Like mm-hmm. almost like where it's just like, I, I don't. I wish uh, maybe they go into it more like the graphic novel. Like maybe she just literally has nothing and it's just doesn't look like the most pleasant place in time to live. So perhaps it's like she has no other choice. And this is a a person that she can kind of feel as part of her tribe or community. I don't really know, but very clear that uh, it's possible that relationship wasn't great before all the God power stuff. And it's just gotten worse. But uh, yeah, it's kind of a raw deal, um, to put it mildly. Another kind of underdeveloped character a little bit, though. So I'm not 100% clear on the motivations or really even how she feels other than sort of worry for him and concern. Yeah, not a strong sense of self-preservation on that one, uh, (laughs) unfortunately. Um, Yeah, I... I think he just feels, I think it's a combo of feeling for Tetsuo and also like she was ready to just like run away from this dude, like with this dude on a stolen bike 
like a couple of days earlier and I think it's still in that kind of mindset and doesn't realize all of the shit that has happened since would <laughs> uh be my read on that situation maybe she does and she just um can't see red and flags but uh <laughs> no man there's a hole in the side Howard of the Lyon. stadium <laughs> and he's got a shrine with body parts on it <laughs> i feel like at the very least like no context you walk up and you see those jars labeled akira and there's just like bits of viscera in them you're going like mm. You've changed, man. I don't know what's different <laughs> about you, but I'm getting a bad feeling here. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, saying I wish she was more flushed out feels like a weird word choice. <laughs> That's great. But uh, but I do. Um, on that note, let's talk about the ending. Um. So we finally meet Akira and it's kind of anticlimactic because <laughs> um, he's in jars and he's just like a neuron here, another random set of cells over here, like really not much left to him. Some ganglia there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and he's in this weird kind of like one-on-one, almost like hostage negotiation with the general. And, um, yeah, things are tense for a long time. Uh, the old kids show up and are like, we got a plan. (laughs) (laughs) And start kind of like praying. We're not sure exactly what, uh, but it seems like they're trying to summon Akira. And it seems like they think Akira is going to save them, which seems like a big pivot from thinking Akira was the end of the world. Um... And then um, while that's happening, uh, Tetsuo becomes more and more monstrous, gets into a big fight with Kaneda, who is kind of trying to kill Tetsuo, kind of also just trying to save his friend. I think he's very conflicted, at least has a sense of self-preservation. So good good on you there, Kaneda. <laughs> um and uh there's giant space lasers <laughs> oh hell yeah <laughs> it's uh it's quite the anime <laughs> battle and then uh somehow akira returns and <laughs> um palpatine style just kind of <laughs> <laughs> uh whisks tetsu away we get this another big kind of light orb that swallows Kaneda. Um, the old kids go in because they're like, we can at least save Kaneda, even if we can't save ourselves. Um, there's a lot of flashback sequences. You kind of see some of Tetsuo's past and uh, connection with Kaneda as like both uh, orphaned kids that grew up together. Um and then you see a bit of like backstory finally on Kyoko and Masaru and um, the other old kids and how they. I'm sorry, it's the best way I get things to refer to I see your face well. <laughs> um, and Akira and um, kind of like how they ended up where they did. And then there's this kind of crazy dream sequence. 
a la 2001 a space odyssey and like maybe a universe is being created who knows um and uh then Canada is on the outside of this bubble and there's a giant implosion and um that whole bubble reduces to like a little speck of light that he gets to hold in a dramatic moment and then can ride off with 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 Kay. Um and it's kind of left up to interpretation what exactly happens there. Um but I want to hear your thoughts. Um I wonder if he put it in his pocket and what happens if he forgets to take it out before he does his wash? That's what I really want to know. <laughs> Pocket universe. <laughs> yeah. Akira, I summon you. Like, aren't you? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I took it as, um, I guess, fairly literal in terms of what you see um which is to say he is spared by the three how that works or how they do it like who knows um it's interesting that like the salvation basically means that it looks like most of neo tokyo is like is fucked so i don't know if the implication is that uh tetsuo would would have just grown to like swallow up the earth eventually or you know, if that was kind of like the the best they could do or or what or even like really what that like blue orb is because it seems to be destroying things but also like swallowing things but um yeah uh it's a bit grim either way i think uh just the last image of you know three people standing on a pile of rubble in the middle of a giant body of water doesn't seem great as far as like you know future prospects um, not to mention what happened to the rest of the city. Yeah. Uh, perhaps it's meant to be hopeful. I don't know. Like, I kind of like the the way that it makes me feel. Like every time, like, and granted, I've seen the movie twice, but like, I'm left with that image is like sort of like the cost has been too great, and it seems impossible to feel like anything could come of that or get better. But yeah, I guess you see, like in the beginning, like something similar happens, and there's Neo Tokyo born out of it it's kind of a shithole but like something does come out of it uh so who knows i don't know um but in terms of like interpreting I, I think like it's a pretty literal interpretation for me it just doesn't seem like there's anything really to look forward to uh for the characters that we've come to spend two hours with yeah kind of felt like one of those endings where it's like ah yes and now this cycle will begin again <laughs> And we will wait for Akira to return once more. Um, nuclear Jesus will come back and maybe stop the next <laughs> apocalypse. Um, I don't know. I thought it was kind of on, a, on like a weird side note. I thought it was interesting, like the cult group that was like always cheering for like Akira to return and like, I guess, basically like overthrow the corrupt government that they thought was there. And um then they think Tetsuo is like that reincarnation of Akira, and then they all like die because of Tetsuo on the bridge. <laughs> so not really great. Um, but I thought an interesting sort of like if we're talking about like the politics of the film and also sort of the religious connotations too, just sort of interesting to have mm -hmm. that in there as well. Um, but in terms of where I think it's going at the end, yeah, I don't really know if I 
have a solid idea about where exactly everybody goes but i do think it felt very very much in that style of sci-fi where it's like the same lessons sort of get learned about like don't try and create this power that you can't control but also like we'll probably try that again you know later somebody else will will think you know what well let's just try this a different way and maybe we'll be able to get the same you know like get what we're looking for but not like destroy everything you know so because i mean the general's still alive at the very end right like he's wasn't he like out there somewhere too strangely like for thanks to plot armor or something right they, i think they, so yeah so i don't know man i mean he's the government now right <laughs> so <laughs> of what he had his, <laughs> you know yeah right exactly like how much of the city got like its ass handed to it so yeah that was very yeah pretty grim i guess is, is the best way like you said to describe it so yeah how about you may yeah, also feeling grim, and I'm trying to think if there's like a hopeful read. And the best one I can think of is, it's a big film about like power in the wrong hands, but also like what happens when you force like kids into adulthood too early, and mm-hmm. what happens when you sacrifice future generations because of your own greed and and corruption and eventually those future generations um end up in such a state that they destroy the whole system generally one way or another and we see that happen with tetsuo and the only hope i can see is that well since at least some of the kids saw this and survived maybe they'll do it better next time but who knows Right. Find out. Get a cure too. <laughs> oh, no. um, there has been a uh, live action version in development hell for a long time that might eventually come out. Uh, directed by Taika Waititi, actually. What? Which I I like him, but I do not know if I would want him for Akira. Yeah. He's so colorful. <laughs> but that might be about. That might be about it. it. I don't know if it would have the right tone. Yeah. I guess it depends on if you want it to have the same tone or if you want it to have not the same tone, like goofy. <laughs> we want it more serious. Do we want it like goofy and quirky? I think we want it serious, right? That's what we're feeling. Yeah. Okay. I think you can have a little, but it should certainly shouldn't be a Marvel film like in tone where it's like, Akira, yeah, maybe you're like. D- yes. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say the funny. same thing. <laughs> maybe Denis Villeneuve, but he, maybe he's sick of sci-fi. Yeah. I don't know. Like he, I think, like oh, hell yeah, with how well he was able to take the look and feel of Blade Runner and translate it yes. to his own thing. I think he he's got the eye. I just, yeah, if he has the interest or willpower, is a different story. Speaking of which, I love the little Blade Runner reference with like the the like kind of like drum sound like that single with the shots of the building this is very much like inspired by blade runner which itself was sort of like a a prototype like cyberpunky like you know future film but it's cool to see um influences on akira and then like all the stuff that came down the line too Yeah. yeah also quick shout out to the soundtrack um it's really good. Um, 
it's a mix of like traditional Japanese music and like uh, very futuristic electronic music and especially the parts where it gets like very like heavy with like the breath work it's it's very intense <laughs> and um yeah I thought it was a really well done soundtrack it was uh, composed by Shoji Yamashiro and performed by um I'm not sure if it's Gino or Gino, uh Yama Shirogumi. I was just gonna say since like we picked this as like uh end of the world film, I quickly wanted to touch on since you nominated it, hadn't seen it, like how you feel about mm. it being like because uh, it's not a post-apocalyptic film per se, it kind of is, but it's like almost like a post-apocalypse has happened or like nearly happened, and then it's unique in that it sort of repeats at the end and mm-hmm. you know like like it's a very similar kind of uh cycle as you guys have already pointed out so how do you feel about it as an, an apocalypse we won't call it a post-apocalypse film but i think like our topic says it could be either so as an yeah. apocalypse film like how do you how do you feel about it this is this is going to tie into my game but to give my quick two cents um <laughs> i will say i love it because a lot of apocalypse films, you have to stop a political thing or you have to stop a technological thing from causing the disaster or like a medical thing with like a pandemic. And this is just like, it's a feelings apocalypse. You gotta <laughs> convince this angsty teen not to destroy the world. <laughs> yeah. um, and it feels a lot more human in some ways, even though this is a very cyberpunk film and um, like has that medical aspect, but yeah it's it's mostly about feeling and like what you do when your feelings and how you express them could end the world only they had mr rogers i feel like he really <laughs> yeah i um i joke uh my my dog is very anxious and also like it's crazy zoomies and like goes nuts when she sees someone that she likes or dislikes really um and I like to joke that her feelings are too big of her body. And that is how I would describe this film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Literally. Oh. <laughs> Poor Ellie. But yeah. Um, I want to hear your guys' thoughts on this as an apocalypse film. And that is kind of a segue to my game. You had said something about the feeling like the Blade Runner vibe energy of of the little you know synthesized drum sort of stuff and the view of the of the cityscape and it got me thinking about when the uh scientists oh gosh what's his name the guy who's working for the general is doing some work in his lab and the computer console makes the same little like calculation noise that the nostromo does from alien and i'm just like it's weird that that's what i can remember but i remember that little like I know that computer. (laughs) I'm glad you brought that up because I also picked up on that. And I was like, I wonder if that was something that was in like the public domain or if they just kind of like stole it. And they're like, no one in America is going to watch this movie. for are not going to sue us. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So, yeah, pretty cool. But yeah, uh, Apocalypse. Uh, I'll let you go first, Chris. I'm going to come back to that. <laughs> you know, I, I think like what I love most about this as an apocalypse film is that the, the Japanese like having being like, thankfully, the only like people on the planet Earth to experience like what it's like to have not one but two nuclear weapons used against you have a very unique perspective 
of the things that would do to a country. So like, obviously, you know, you have films like Godzilla and some others that focus on this. I think having the sci-fi context uh, is an interesting way to grapple with that. And I think even more fascinating, I don't really know what it says about where their headspace was at in the eighties, but I could probably guess um, that there was the anxiety that that's something that could potentially happen again you gotta think like end of the cold war like when this came out um certainly the fear of like nuclear like mutual assured destruction was very much the forefront of people's brains and uh yeah it's kind of a it's kind of a bummer i'm like damn like you know like understandably still some raw feelings would have been what like 40 years later like ish um right about 40 years yeah this came out what 85 88 what was the year 88 yeah Yeah. so just over 40 that's all i got so i like their perspective i think is it's unique in the world i agree with what you said chris i also think it's interesting from a, a narrative perspective that it feels like even if this wasn't if this didn't take place in neo tokyo this could take place pretty much anywhere and i feel like we would all be we would be able to relate to the story and the characters, and I think that that's interesting in terms of a uh, an apocalyptic film that it just sort of feels like it doesn't... I mean, in some ways, it is important to recognize the culture behind it. And whether we're talking the, the animation style itself or we're talking about the history involved and why, like, what, what it was that inspired it. Um, but I also think it's interesting, like the the ability to feel like this could be a story told from many different cultures and we would all be able to at least relate to it some in some way um and then at the same point too i i I don't know if it's going to be an apocalyptic film and you've got a badass motorcycle like (laughs) that's probably like the better apocalypse to like to be a part of but i don't know like at the end like they they it does look like humanity does still make it out i mean we're just in one city right and that not all the city is destroyed so uh, i don't know end of the world maybe not but uh end of a probably a, a government and possibly a way of life depends i guess that's arguable too but yeah, yeah. i don't know i think overall it's definitely like um Affecting, like you said, you know, affecting a generation. So I would go with that, yeah. Well, my game is not an exact copy of Will's game from last week, but inspired by it. And (laughs) (laughs) give me three tropes from (laughs) that. It's going to be a bit different. I want you guys to tell me uh, your favorite character or just pick a character from the film. And the bike be a character. <laughs> I'm going to say if you pick Canada, it includes the bike. Hmm. Okay. Let me think about <laughs> that for a minute. You know, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to. I'm, I'm going to hop on this one early. Yeah, I'm going to go with Canada. Okay. Uh, not my favorite character, but just out of curiosity's sake, for what might lie ahead with this game, I'm going to pick Colonel <laughs> Shikishima. <laughs> yeah okay i think i think he was a very interesting character in a lot of ways like in terms of his motives and behaviors and things so 
Okay. Well, the game is, uh, I need you to pick a different apocalypse film and tell me how you think your character would fare in that apocalypse film. Oh, hell yeah. So All like right, an existing so... apocalypse film? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'd well. Take your time. Um, so I'm going to choose Deep Impact. (laughs) 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 All that my man has to do is get on that bike and get enough gas in the tank and ride and he'll be okay. Just get away from (laughs) the coastline. That was the only problem. Just stay away from the coastline and he's good. Uh, For me and for like listeners who haven't seen Deep Impact, could you give a, a quick TLDR? (laughs) <laughs> asteroids gonna hit the earth and two i guess two technically well no there's one and then it like gets broken into two i think or maybe there's two to begin with anyway at some point an asteroid is going to hit the earth <laughs> just not the bigger of the two nice. and so humanity can still potentially survive but there's like a massive tidal wave and um a lot of people don't make it and yeah just as long as you're like far enough in from the coast you'll be all right you didn't know that necessarily but you know you just like just keep running that water's coming <laughs> it's not a it's not a dinosaur situation where it nope. clouds up the atmosphere too much okay no nope. No, we're then, I, well. It, it it could be. I mean, it was a little. I, I don't know if we'd do much after it hit, or if it was more just like people survived, and then we're like, you're okay. like he he makes it through the two hour movie. It's <laughs> it's right. We can't promise too much after that. I mean, anything's <laughs> possible, right? It's sort of like at the end of Return of the Jedi, and you're like, the Death Star blew up. Did shrapnel rain down on all those little Ewoks and murder everybody? I mean, maybe we don't know. It's science, and that's that takes place after that movie. So who knows i mean maybe. we kind of see like the effects of that in rise of skywalker there's just a massive chunk like they make it clear it's not the force moon because that would have been too grim in the implications they're like <laughs> it's it's the actual planet where there's just water there's nothing but water yep. it's fine <laughs> yep ewoks yeah. are safe don't worry kids <laughs> <laughs> well that's an excellent pick then well uh it's super straightforward i yeah. mean like there's no, there's no conflict. There's no, just like, <laughs> actually, you know, it's secondary and I won't go into it. But if I had, if I had to, besides being goofy about it, if I had an honest pick for that, that I had thought through a little bit more, I would have said Mad Max. But nice. that will have to be for another time because otherwise I'm just going to talk your ear off about like Thunderdome and being witnessed. And anyway, so we're good. <laughs> great picks thanks well all right your turn on the hot seat chris yeah so i feel like colonel shikishima would be right at home in the zombie apocalypse so oh, yeah like he's just <laughs> built for that he's a big burly guy um he definitely seems at home with uh with all kinds of conventional like weaponry um he's got some leadership skills he's not uh, not afraid to like take down the corrupt officials but he's shown that he can cooperate with both scientists and like the government like where necessary but he'll take matters into his own hands if shit's going sideways now what zombie apocalypse film would i put him in 
I feel like if it's something like Dawn of the Dead, that'd be a little too easy. Like that guy's just going to slice through the zombies like a knife through hot butter because they're slow, they're shambling. Like, and he's an anime burly guy. Like, you know, like he is, that's no challenge at all. So I feel like you got to put him against like the Danny Boyle, Zack Snyder, like fast zombies. I feel like that's, yeah. that's a more interesting anime appropriate like mashup right there. As a matter of fact, I think like if I was going to watch this film, I would want it to still be like anime. Like, I think it would be. Super cool. Like, have there been fast zombies like in an anime film? Because if not, somebody should fucking do that. You could do some really gross stuff, I feel like. You know, like thinking like the Castlevania anime show, which I loved, like did a really good stuff with like creature horror, like and like grossness, like in in that. So do that, but like with zombies, it'd be cool. Um, so yeah, that's that's I think that would be great. Like right ahead. Give me anime zombies with with Colonel and uh you know, I think like you got a you got a hell of a good film there. I think you do all right. You know, like yeah. The question is like, what do you what do you do like the you know uh, act three like self sacrifice to get other people out? Like it's unclear. He's pretty committed in this film, but it doesn't seem like a selfish or selfless type to me as well. If he were to do it, it would be like one of those like, you know, he delivers like some snarky like last like line kind of things. Like mm-hmm. I don't know. Like where it's you know, he says something like a little action one-liner and blows himself up with some grenades or something. I don't know, but unclear. He's definitely the kind of guy that would go out on his terms, I think. Yeah. For sure. Nice. Well, those are great picks. Thank you. I wanted it to be like a fairly short game, but also a bit improv So I hope you guys enjoyed that. Always. Well, we don't have to draw a card this week. Hey. Because noise in one week's time. We will be discussing, finally, was the book better, The <laughs> Shining Edition. So we will have read the book, probably rewatched the film. I've seen this like probably more times than any horror film. It's okay. I'm still going to watch it again. And then we will declare with finality, which <laughs> is the better telling of that story. And when finality, I say, like, <laughs> we will each have an opinion and we'll see where the, <laughs> what those opinions add up to. And of course, uh, after that, we will be transitioning into Scream Quest with special guests again uh, for the month of October. I imagine we'll have some new categories. We have some we didn't get to last year that I want to keep into the deck because there, there were some fun picks, but I imagine we'll, we can do a little bit of a, like a small deck refresh as well, just to uh, allow our guests to maybe nominate some stuff and to maybe throw some films and genres that, that we didn't have on our list last year, which is always a good time. We uh, love your support as always. And thank you for listening and watching the show. You can find us on X at screen quest pod you can nominate your own film suggestions at a link that will be included in the episode description wherever you get the show thank you all thank you may thank you will and we love you we'll see you next week bye Bye. guys